This webcast is for informational purposes only. The content provided does not constitute medical advice or diagnosis, and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. The opinions and information provided during the webcast are for informational and discussion purposes only. We do not warrant or guarantee the accuracy, completeness, adequacy, or currency of the content provided. This webcast is not a substitute for professional psychological or medical treatment, advice, assistance, or services. Should you or a family member need help with any of the matters discussed during the program, please contact a competent, licensed professional for assistance. Hi, I'm Dr. Merle, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Caught Between Generations. This show is for you. For people who take care of lots of people that are different ages and have various needs, we are your one-stop shop for information and resources. Today, we're going to talk about men. Mm -hmm. Men. Today, we're going to discuss problems that are specific to men as they age and also for men who become primary caregivers. As I travel across the country visiting my Syracuse centers, I often spend time with men discussing their new role as a primary caregiver. They feel really strongly that their wives always took outstanding care of them and they want to do the same in return. But very often they're very lost and very confused. In fact, we have found that men who are caregivers need their own support group. We call it for men led by men. As men age, regardless of whether they are caregivers currently or not, their issues are often unique. This week's show is for everyone. As a man, I hope it raises your awareness of some of the issues with which you are struggling, and we help you find some solutions. For the women, I think you'll find some of the information actually very surprising. And I hope it results in a deeper understanding of some of the issues with which the men in your life may be grappling. Today's guest is someone very special to me, Dr. Robert Humphreys. Dr. Bob and I worked together many years ago at a community mental health agency for children and adolescents. Dr. Humphreys is actually the co-owner of Vista Psychological and Counseling Center in North Canton, Ohio. He is a licensed psychologist, and since 1985, his practice has included work with children, adolescents, families, and adults. He also has a full-time appointment at Walsh College and is now an associate professor. And he has received numerous awards in that position, including Outstanding Educator. But one of the reasons that Bob is so special to me is that through these years, I have continued to refer many families to Bob, and that is for two reasons. One is I have a lot of respect for Bob. He's an outstanding psychologist, and he does excellent work, and I can trust him to take really good care of the people that I'm referring to him. And the second reason is is that he has a 100% success rate in terms of the families that he deals with. It's true. So there has not been one family I've ever referred to Bob that has not come back to me. They always come back to me and say, thank you for that referral. Dr. Humphreys is absolutely outstanding. Wow. So I'm very happy to have you here with me today, Bob. How can I follow that? <laughs> but it's all true. It's all true. So... Bob, you and I were discussing what the topic was going to be for today, and we kind of decided that one of the topics that is not really talked about a lot is about men. Um, and you told me you were seeing um, an increasing number of men in your practice. Mm -hmm. you as, as, as you get older, 
as a psychologist and, and not that we ever tire of crawling around on the floor with the kids, but uh, eventually you do. Um, but as, as my practice has evolved, I think there are more men coming in, um, sometimes with the changes at midlife, sometimes with the changes closer to retirement. And we're dealing with men issues in a different kind of way than, than I had experienced before. Uh, most of my focus had been always with, uh, you know, dads and working with their kids and families that may have had some conflicts going on. Um, so this is kind of a new arena for me, but it's, it's been a very rewarding, uh, arena and, and it's helped me to kind of learn more about, uh, how we work as men and how we operate as men. So what kind of problems are the men presenting with that you're seeing? Well, one of the things that I would mention to you is is that men, oftentimes we define ourselves by what we do. Um, if you look at even how we introduce ourselves, you know, um, what do you do for a living, you know, that defines who you are as a man. Uh, that's not so true maybe in Europe where it's not about – it's about your family and it's about – uh, you know who you came from, and uh, rather than what you do, but we define ourselves by what we do, and so we get into this issue. I think sometimes that as what we do has to change, we lose a sense of identity as men. And so, for uh, when there's a downturn in the economy, and we see people getting laid off from jobs that they had, uh, the new trend away from having a job for 35 years in one place of, in one organization uh, that changing trend uh, has had some effect on men and and how they're dealing with stress because it changes the definition of who they are. You know, it's interesting to me because at Syracare, when we're working with people to bring enroll them into the program, we know that the women will come if they think they will have friendships there or if they already know someone is there, you know, because that's how women relate. You know, who's your best friend? The person you tell your secrets to, all right? I mean, little girls are very chatty for mm-hmm. a reason. But the men, we find, are much more interested in the activities. That That's really what they want to know about, what's going on. If we go back to just play very early on, Young boys, their friends are the people that they do activities with. So if they do soccer or they do football or they do uh, lacrosse, those are their friends. Young ladies, it's a different kind of a makeup. They're looking for people that they can connect to, and they're looking for that connection. We just connect in a different way. Our play, our play becomes the circle of our friendships for boys. And as we grow into into adults, I think we see some of the same kinds of things. You know, who do we connect to? Who becomes important to us? Uh, the people that we work with, the people that we live with, become the most important people in our circles is what we often find. But we also talked a little bit about what happens though as men age. And, and women, I think, do not do not do this to be negative of men, but we become your cruise directors, is my saying. So, you know, my husband comes home at the end of a week and he says, okay, what are we doing this weekend and what time do I need to be ready and what do I wear? And when, when, when we were talking about that uh, outside of uh, our time together here, um, I, I kept thinking to myself, this is a replay of my life at home because... <laughs> <laughs> During the course of, you know, it, it would be very rare for me to be the one to make those kinds of plans. Um, it's not that I'm not capable of doing those kinds of things, but I think that uh, the focus is a little bit different. Um, 
You know, oftentimes when I get home after a week of being very social, either in the classroom or uh, in sessions with uh, clients, I want to go home and be home. I don't really want to go and socialize. I think that's much more my wife's need, um, you know, because after a hectic week, she wants to go and be social because she finds that to be very relaxing. It, it feels more like work sometimes, I think, <laughs> for me, <laughs> based on my career choice, I think. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I mean, some it, it's true even for me now. But yeah. let's talk a little bit about some of the other types of problems you're seeing with men. Uh, we will see issues uh, with depression with men. Um, I think we get there in a different way. Um, as men go, and again, not wanting to risk stereotyping, but we tend to be very compartmental. Mm-hmm. And, and so by putting things in different compartments as we do, I think sometimes we get dis- emotionally disconnected from things, and then, and then depression will be the result of that. For women, mm-hmm. it's a little bit different because I think sometimes they connect the emotional dots of everything – they get overwhelmed because they connect those emotional dots, and their depression results from that. So interesting kind of thing that I see from a therapy standpoint is, is that I try to teach the women who are depressed to be more compartmental in their thinking. And for men, I'm trying to teach them to connect the emotional dots more. Isn't that interesting? I, actually, I never thought about that before, Bob. But it, when I'm doing workshops for communication styles for men and women, one of the things I do talk about is you're right, men do compartmentalize and women don't. So the example I always give them is that you have a ardent discussion or an, or an argument or whatever it is you call it with your spouse or significant other and you go to work, right? And so in the morning, the women are upset. They're still thinking about it. And they're not very productive, all right? Because they're thinking, oh, I should have said this or they're just upset. So then you call your significant other at 12 noon and you say, Look, I th- really think we need to discuss the argument that we had this morning. And they say to you, What argument? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and then they're really dead in the water. Oh, we're sunk at that point. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> because men can compartmentalize. You're, you're right. I had never thought about that as being connected to depression, though. Well, it, it, it's kind of an interesting thing because when you talk to men, they feel disconnected. From everything when they're depressed. And um, one of the very learned psychologists that I worked with uh, many years ago would talk about um, men who who step outside of the marriage. And he saw affairs as being a symptom of depression. And Mm -hmm. because it's a way of trying to connect to someone emotionally. And you're feeling disconnected from everyone uh, and then, and then you become more vulnerable for those kinds of things. Um, there is a, a body of literature that talks about uh, the Whitehurst literature that talks about alienation and opportunity that makes people vulnerable to have extramarital affairs. Depression is the great alienator for men. Interesting. Um, let's talk about baby baby boomers and the baby boomer crunch. <laughs> well. Baby boomers are in a unique position, um, and what we're finding is is that they have this uh, generational piece called the baby boomer crunch. They're taking care of elderly parents, and at the same time, they are also providing care for children. And what we have is two sets of demands, and it represents a different kind of stress, particularly for men who are trying to juggle these kinds of things. And it becomes a very different way um, 
of having to do things because you know it used to be all I had to do was be the provider and that was a good role mm-hmm. for me that was allowed me to be the caretaker but now I'm having my parents call me and asking me to do things for them I'm having to cart my kids if they're not old enough to drive cart my kids everywhere and you get caught in that what they call the baby boomer crunch and because we've delayed kids getting out of the house, I mean, I think we keep pushing the age out a little further and a little further. Or, or they leave in return. Or they leave in return. Or they, <laughs> right. well, that's a refilled nest. That's a whole different animal. But when they when they um, <clears throat> are out there and the, and and they're not leaving the nest quite as soon, then they're still being. You know, we're trying to get them to launch at the same time that we're also providing care for our elderly parents. Um, and it's a unique caveat. Not to mention the fact that we're also now dealing with the most um, transgenerational workforce. So we are having to deal with people uh, from the baby boom era who may have have three different generations. You know, the Gen Xers, the uh, the Gen uh, the Gen Ys, the Millenniums, as they, I think sometimes they were called. And so you, you're looking at a workforce that is very diverse in terms of ages and. How about the issues of finding somebody who's 26 years old who now becomes your boss and you are somebody who is pushing 60? Oh, I hear that from uh, actually from men more yes. than I do women, that they walk into interviews with very young men. Um, and they're very upset in that situation. I, I think that, that they, they, uh, there's a certain degree that as we get older, we expect a certain degree of respect and that feels very disrespectful for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and and yet, when you look at the workforce and the way that it's composed these days, we're looking at transgenerational workforces where we have all the groups represented. But Bob, I want to go back to your initial thing about um, baby boomer crunch. Mm-hmm. And by the way, that is not a term I had heard. A baby boomer I've heard, but I hadn't heard baby boomer crunch, crunch before. In that change of men having parents call them and also having children or adult children to deal with, I mean, what do you see as the issues that those men are dealing with? I, I think it, they're having to face multiple stresses from multiple fronts in a way that they didn't have to before. I mean, it, it may be respectful to take care of your parents. And depending on um, – you know, that you have different ethnic backgrounds and different cultural kinds of responsibilities that sometimes go along with that. Uh, you know, in some circles, you know, the familia is, is everything. And so you have to, you're going to be having to take care of that. But for people where that is not the culture and they get caught in this crunch, it, it's, it becomes another part of the grind. And so how do I cope with those things? And again, maybe I can put that into compartments, but then those compartments start to overflow. And I start to be able, and it becomes, I become disconnected to everything emotionally. And I may uh, get some stress-related kinds of depressive symptoms resulting from that. Mm-hmm. Because, again, the demands exceed the methodology that I've all, you know, this method has always worked for me before when it comes to dealing with these kinds of stresses. And all of a sudden, those things get overwhelmed. I also think you get changing roles. I mean, you know, my husband was always worked very hard and he and I never expected him to be honest with you to do very much in the house because he was a cardiologist you know he was being called out in the middle of the night I mean he was working around the clock and very long days now he's retired and I'm still working and I admit that you know 
after about six months or so of this, of my coming in at seven o'clock, eight o'clock at night, and he sat at the kitchen table, you know, kind of waiting for dinner to come out, <laughs> right? <laughs> I said, you know, this Buddha thing you have going on here is not working for me anymore. And, and you know, but we had lived that way for 40-some years. Exactly. So it's a real shock um, to suddenly see your responsibilities and your priorities changing. And yet for some men, they welcome that opportunity because, you know, early on in, in my marriage, I think we shared some of those cooking responsibilities at home. Um, part of the way I paid my way through college was to cook. Uh, oh, you I know, didn't know, you know that. Oh, you didn't know that story? Oh, uh, no. yeah. For many, for several years, I worked in the, in the, uh, uh, the cafeteria at the university and, and I was the weekend cook. So I could I could break a gross of eggs in, in a record time. I can tell you that. Um, but but then you can return to some of those things, and you have an opportunity to do that. So there may be some men that will look forward to those kinds of things, um, and not necessarily look for somebody to be taking care of them. Um, and some of us as men, we look for something to do in order to define ourselves again. If you don't have a plan going into retirement, oftentimes we get very lost. And so that vulnerability to depression increases because we haven't, we've defined ourselves by what we do for so long. We're now we're retired. We don't do that anymore. The men that have a plan going into retirement, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this generally have better in terms of their mental health component than those who retire and then are at a loss. They have that loss of identity. They don't know what they're. They're going to do. I will say this, though. I mean, I watched my father, who worked very hard all his life, and after he sold his business, people were like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And he said, I don't want to do anything right now. I want to think about it. And he did. For six months, he loved to read, so he enjoyed reading as late into the night as he wanted to, sleeping as late as he wanted to. And after about six or seven months, he had figured out what he wanted to do. You know, and he became an editor for a little community newspaper. He, you know, began to paint and take painting classes. But it sometimes you need to do that, I think. You need to give yourself a little time just to rest and relax and then figure out what you want to do. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with taking time off to do that. But I think for the person who doesn't even have that much of a plan, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know what I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. And and again, if you're having to deal with a spouse who's having some health concerns in retirement, okay, suddenly that's a role that defines you. And and so you you plug right in. Many men will plug right into taking care of their spouse. Um, and you were mentioning earlier that women don't necessarily plug in as readily. Well, they they've been in that caretaking role in that way before, been there, done that. Okay, my caretaking role is. Uh, over and I and I'm I'm past that. I don't want to do that anymore, or I'm more reluctant to do that in that role. And for men, I think sometimes, especially the men that are adrift in retirement, that caretaking role becomes their definition of themselves. The issue comes then: what are they going to do when this spouse is is the health declines further and they're no longer there? You know, how are they going to define themselves? And again, you have to be very uh, mindful of that. And you want to make sure that you're going to take care of yourself because you've got to be able to look out for what's what's around the next corner. And while most of us don't want to deal with, you know, the fact that we are going to lose our spouse somewhere along the way, and uh, um, if you are the caretaker, 
you've got to be preparing yourself as a part of that journey so that you can take care of yourself and move forward from that a very difficult mm-hmm. event uh, in, a, in a very healthy in a healthy kind of way. Right, which is why we spend time with the men that we that we take care of that that are caregivers actually, talking to them and spending time talking about what friendships do they have, what family members you know do they have that they like and can have contact with. I mean, our men's support group, our caregiver support group, they go out. I mean, I just got a call today from one of the guys saying, by the way, I hear you have a connection for charge tickets. Can you get us 10 tickets? And I'm thrilled because it means they're going out together, they're spending time together. Um, they need those activities mm-hmm. yeah, to help and, them through. And, and there, there are opportunities. I think there are opportunities to volunteer in the community. Uh, community is looking for people, good people, to come in. To, to have that wealth of experience. Um, I, I was working at one point along the way with a retired physician and um, just marveled at the wealth of knowledge. And I thought to myself, boy, I would love for you to sit in this hallway at the university and just talk with our students the way that you've been talking to me because there was so much information that he could provide mm-hmm. to them and so much mentoring and so much... And, and, you know, I thought to myself, perhaps I need to organize a group to do that on our campus because, you know, those folks don't have, they don't have that worldview. And there's a worldview that goes with that and an understanding that goes with that. And even as healthcare is changing more and more and more, this, the essential elements are still very much the same. And there's a role for men. I mean, it would be very good for him to have that sense of, I'm mentoring somebody in the next generation to come. I think that's a great idea, Bob. I mean, there are women's groups across the country who have formal mentoring programs. Absolutely. And so they're aggressively going, or I should say, assertively going after that. But I had never thought before of, you know, like a university forming men's mentoring groups, which would be fabulous, actually. Yeah. There could, there could be a lot of good things to come from yeah. that. Yeah. Bob, do you have any suggestions for men? Any kind of last thoughts? Well, as far as um, our mental health goes, and we want to, you know, we want to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves emotionally. And, um, you know, there, there's, uh, there's a lot of emphasis out there for men's health, but I don't think we talk about men's mental health. Um, being able to recognize the signs of depression. Uh, is an important piece because we tend to be more vulnerable the older that we get um, for uh, issues with depression. Sometimes it can be manifest as, uh, like we see in children, uh, vague somatic complaints with no real apparent physical basis uh, can be a sign of depression for men. Um, we can see things like anhedonia, where the things that used to bring us great joy and pleasure, uh, we don't experience in that same kind of way anymore. Uh, it could be just being uh, grumpy and irritable uh, for long periods of time mm-hmm. without any stress that necessarily would be related to that. And so if we watch for those signs, it will help us, obviously. Uh, sometimes memory issues can come up with depression uh, for men um, as well as for women. But uh, And you pay attention to those kinds of things. And so to be able to consult with somebody, to talk to somebody, to have – a support group of people to be able to connect to. Interesting studies have looked at stress 
for all of us. But one of the stress hormones that we release is oxytocin. And oxytocin is the cuddle hormone. And it's the one that promotes affiliation. And for some of us as men, what we've learned over a long period of time is is that when we're stressed, we pull away from people. And we're going counter to those hormones. We're going counter to that stress hormone that says we should be connecting with somebody at that time. Um, women have that seem to seem to have that down a little differently. They want to talk. They want to tend and befriend, and which has led to a whole stress model out there that says uh, women want to tend and befriend when they're stressed. And for men, we, we tend to want to pull away uh, that fight flight kind of mechanism. And and so we have to be mindful of that as we as as we work together to to help people to to come to better mental health. So, Bob, if if one of our listeners is either living with or knows of a man that they're concerned about and they think they may have depression and maybe should be talking to someone. I mean, how do you approach that? That's such a difficult issue. Uh, I, I, I think you have to look at, at your relationship with the person and are you are you somebody that can make that referral? I think um, many of the referrals that I come from sometimes come from friends. Um, um, but oftentimes the primary care physicians are now uh, and the gerontologists are much more in tune with those kind of symptoms. And I do get a number of referrals from folks um, uh, that are practicing physicians who will who will identify those things. And and some people come in and they scoff. Well, I don't feel sad. Why would you think I was depressed? And when we start talking about the various ways that depression can manifest itself and they can say, I, I've been depressed a lot longer than I knew. And they're able to recognize it. And then we can do some things to help them uh, using th- uh, things like cognitive behavioral therapy, um, some interpersonal psychotherapy. Um, sometimes medications can be applied. And when we start looking at that kind of a treatment, uh, many people can get relief from those symptoms uh, in, in a very short period of time and, and come to a better level and quality of life as a result. Do you have any last thoughts for women? I think that, um, again, I would go back and, and, and say, you know, you want to be a good friend. Um, you want to be able to be a good support system uh, to your partner. Um, you do want to be able to recognize if there are some signs uh, of depression that you're seeing uh, with your spouse, uh, that you do and take steps to take care of that with them and encourage them. Um, there are many men that are very traditional and not uh, necessarily thinking the first place they wanted to go uh, is to see the psychologist. Um, and, and I understand that, but also being a male there, I've come to appreciate the great depth there is to men uh, as they're looking at things like retirement, as they're looking at issues like uh, having um, a, a, a spouse to take care of. And so when you start looking at those kinds of stresses, they begin to experience things in a way that they've not really had to face. You know, sometimes in the world of business and and and, and doing what we do vocationally, um, there's some dev- we're devoid of some of that emotion. But here we're dealing with very very uh, powerfully emotional issues at a time when we're starting to feel those feelings in a much different way than we used to as we approach retirement. And so we need the benefit and the wisdom of the women in our lives who have been dealing with emotions in that vast array at that in that way uh to to be a part of us and to and to help us to deal with those things in the best ways possible. Bob, that was perfect. 
Thank you. <laughs> it was. It really was. Well, it was beautiful. You. Thank you. So if people want to follow up with you or they want to contact you, how would they do that? Um, the, my office uh, locally here is in North Canton. Uh, it is Vista Psychological and Counseling Center. The number is 330-244-8782. And uh, someone will be glad to help you uh, to plug into one of our fine therapist schedules. Thank you. And for a suggestion for because our listeners are all over the country, how would they know how to contact someone? Um, there are a number of uh, uh, gateways to get to providers. Um, I know that uh, many providers these days are, are um, advertising with psychology today, interestingly enough. Uh, we also have your local uh, uh, state uh, uh, boards of psychology or, or your state psychological associations have a referral network where you can call. Great. Okay. Dr. Humphreys, thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I want to share with you my feelings about how often we underestimate feelings of fear, unease, and regret in others and actually even in ourselves. I think this is especially true with individuals, both men and women, who present with a lot of bravado that, you know, these are people that just seem really strong. They're right on top of everything. They're very tough. You know, they never seem to have a moment of weakness. We often miss their underlying sadness. They often are extremely reluctant to express their regrets. And very often, we just don't recognize it. I think the message of today's show is to look carefully beneath the obvious. For what you see on the surface with people is often not accurate. It's not someone's true feelings. Sometimes we're in the middle of a conflict with people and we just don't understand why. And the reason is, is because we're responding to an incorrect perception and assumption about what they're feeling and what they're thinking. So my suggestion to you is slow down, step back, take a moment, listen carefully, and ask meaningful questions. Sometimes our feelings are on target, but sometimes they're not. It's an investment in the relationship and in your own personal well-being to take the time to determine someone's underlying feelings towards a particular issue. Remember to always ask and never assume. Take care.